I already came unharnessed, but <laughs> one of the last times I spoke had a music stand like this, and I had a much thicker, heavier Bible, and I was speaking and trying to keep track of my minimal notes and the Bible, and it got harder and harder to read, and I realized that the music stand was doing this, <laughs> and I didn't know whether... <laughs> Anyway, so I, I just want you to know that I love preaching. Boy, nobody died of shock. <laughs> Especially if it's someone else doing it. <laughs> so, and I've, I've tackled a uh, subject that is um, so often mentioned, the word worship, did anybody hear the word worship here today? I hope you did. If you didn't, you maybe need to do what I need to do. I, I sacrificed one of my hearing aids for this uh, device that amplifies my voice. So, uh, yeah, worship, a, a common thing. I've, I've contemplated worship for over a number of decades and have had a number of experiences and uh, more recently, even before I heard that I had the opportunity to speak here, I was trying to think, is there a really concise definition of worship? And let me share the job here I have of speaking. Who has a really concise definition of worship? Wow. Okay, worship the Lord for who he is. Well, you're using the word worship in, in defining it, and, and that's not allowed in school. <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> Praising the Lord, all right. You know, actually, the Bible itself, and, and I did a little research on this, uh, does not give a concise definition of worship. What it does do is provide an incredible number of examples of worship, beginning in what book of the Bible? Genesis. Genesis. All right, Mike got the answer there first, I think. All right, uh, Genesis. How far back in Genesis? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, yeah. Is the word worship used? I can't remember. No. <laughs> I did check. It's not. But, but you're right. That's probably the early example of worship. And what did their worship include? An offering. An offering. And once you know that, you know what the tone of worship was throughout the Old Testament. It was bringing an offering what if that were brought into today's church environment? You couldn't come to church and worship unless you brought an offering, maybe an animal offering. After all, wasn't uh, Abel's offering acceptable to God? And he sacrificed an animal. Why was that acceptable? Was it a preview of something? <laughs> yes. And Abel's 
sacrifice was true worship. We know that. And we don't know all the details. The, the Bible doesn't really give all the details of why Cain's was not acceptable. But it must have been a heart condition. And uh, is there such a thing as false worship? Yeah, a lot of that. And, and there are even examples in the Old Testament of, of idol worship by God's people attempting to synchronize it with true worship to combine Baal worship, which was a heathen idol, with the true worship of God. And that combination didn't work, nor will it ever. Could we actually have idols in our lives that maybe would really, to some extent, lessen the heart attitude of true worship? And I, I ask myself that. And you could go into a whole number of areas of consideration. Um, I've even been mildly convicted, not enough to quit it, but uh, the high holy day of football. Wow. In, in our society today, you'd almost feel like you were giving up meat on Lent or something uh, if you don't watch the... Uh, the high holy day of football. What do they call it? Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I couldn't even think of what it was called. Yeah. So maybe I'm getting away from it. Anyway, uh, I have been through several uh, changes in the type of music worship that have occurred over the decades. And some of the rest of you have experienced some of those. But I well remember one going back not quite 50 years but pretty close to that, when our music worship here, and, and this is not, I'm not telling you the story to say that one form was better than another, but back to a time when an instrument called a piano was the background, and you didn't have words on a screen, where did you have them? In a hymn book. Okay, all of you know about hymn books. And we had a new young worship leader who came in, and uh, he was good. And, and his uh, change of style was to leave the piano, which my late wife had always played, using hymn books. And we were shifting over to a leader who used maybe a guitar or whatever, or a combination of instruments. And the, the reason I remember it was something as I think back, it was kind of humorous because it bothered me at the time, but it, it doesn't anymore. But he knew that my wife was really struggling with the idea that she was losing her job at the keyboard because now there was a guitar to take over. And by the way, guitars are wonderful. I have a grandson who specializes. His real hobby and love is guitars and church music with guitars, so I'm not shooting down guitars or... Uh, our good worship leader this morning. But anyway, the story unwound like this. <clears throat> the young man leading it, uh, I think really out of deference to the older people that were a little bit rocked by the fact that the piano was getting covered up and not used, um, chose one of the old hymns. And we sang it dutifully with the words on the screen. And he, he went through the motions of leading that. And then 
he kind of straightened up, stepped back, got his guitar in position, and he said, now we're going to enter into worship. <laughs> and I thought, did I make a mistake? I thought I was worshiping already. <laughs> but anyway, I came to the realization when in one of our high school assemblies that we had the more contemporary style of worship happening, and I witnessed young people really worshiping the Lord in that new style, and that, that helped me bridge that gap. So a lot of things can be discussed about the form of worship and, and how it takes place, but um, a definition of, of worship that I found that I really enjoy, and I'll go to my notes for this, and it was in an old, old dictionary from the 1800s. And they described worship in two uh, components. First, an extreme love for God. Do you like that? An extreme love for God. B, an extraordinary obedience to him. Have you thought about obedience as being a component of worship? Okay, some of you are nodding that you have. Yeah. Should real worship change our lives when we leave the sanctuary? And I think it should. And testifying for myself, I wish it did more than it does. And I need to pray about that. That True worship, if it is happening in church, when I leave church, I hope that it will affect my life just in doing whatever comes down the road for whatever you do. And all of us, you know, we have surprises in our lives. I had the fun this week of uh, taking care of rabbits and chickens. And <laughs> I hadn't planned for that very far ahead, but... Uh, there was some fun in that, in the, trying to catch the chickens and get them back in the pen at night and not let the ones that brutalize the others be together and put some in isolation. And uh, so we got through that. But uh, if we can live in an attitude of worship, then God gets the glory for that. In thinking about um, the, the first component that I mentioned, an extreme love for God, I... I thought about this automatically. What Jesus said, you shall love, and you could substitute the word worship there, the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that extreme worship? Extreme love? I think it is. And love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes that's a hard one. Anyway, any, I, uh, I thought also about the uh, encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well. She was trying to take the, the focus off of herself. She could realize that there was a prophet was talking to her of unusual power and ability to see into her heart. So she changed the subject to worship. And her consideration is, well, where should we worship? in Jerusalem or some other place. Remember what Jesus told her? He said, the Lord is seeking for true worshipers that will worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. And uh, he left her with that message. And it reached into her heart. And she left him being a true 
worship her. How do we know that? <laughs> she couldn't tell all of her neighbors, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He could look into my heart, in, in other words, and see what was there. And uh, she was a real uh, example of one who has been touched by genuine worship and is able to use that to become a missionary. She was a missionary to her own village. And she was of the despised group of people called Samaritans, which, of course, uh, Jesus looked well past that. Uh, now, if the men will bring up the scripture, I'm going to um, focus in on a story, and I'll try to keep it... Uh, what time do we usually close, Pastor? <laughs> Is everybody very comfortable? <laughs> You're not overly crowded today, I, I can see. By the way, uh, thank you, men, for letting your wives go. Some of you didn't. I didn't let mine go. And some of us men are uh, less secure without our wives than others. So you can, you can put us in one of two categories. I see Lee has his wife here. so <laughs> He's more secure with his wife here. So... Anyway, it's, it's nice that the women can be away, and, and it's been good, good reports, as our pastor has mentioned. Anyway, um, do you like romance stories? You guys can admit it if you do. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> Ladies like romance stories. Do you like unusual romance stories? There's one in the 24th chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And embedded in this story is what I have chosen to call uh, a very special kind of worship, spontaneous worship. And I hope that some of us get caught in spontaneous worship. And uh, the man who is at the center of the story is not even named. We don't even know his name, but we know some things about him. We know that he was the oldest servant of Abraham. Now, just to orient yourself in, in passage of time, this is before Moses, this is before the law, this is before the Ten Commandments, this is before all the laws of Leviticus. This goes back to the very first patriarch, Abraham. Was Abraham kind of a poor old guy that wandered around on the edge of the desert and had a few little animals? Actually, he was very, very, very wealthy. And this man that is described as his oldest servant, he had entrusted the keeping of all of his flocks and herds and all of his possessions. Uh, this eldest servant of Abraham was a very unusual man. And in reading about him, I, I chose to think about some things that uh, could be said about him. He was incredibly trustworthy in that a wealthy man would turn over to him the keeping of all of his goods. Extremely trustworthy. As we go into the story, we find out that he was a man of prayer. He didn't just pray, uh, pray when there was something unusual, I'm sure, but he also did pray when there was something unusual because he had an unusual assignment. He chose consistently to honor his master. And this is really important. He's a good camel driver. 
He really was. <laughs> he knew how to take multiple camels and drive them across the desert with the help of a posse of men with him. And he could also do this. This is really unusual. He could celebrate guided romance taking place with young people. The Bible doesn't tell us about his own home life or whether he ever had a romance himself, but he was called upon for an unusual duty, and you know the story, and uh, it's there before you. Why don't we read through part of it? So this elderly servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And we learn more about the good things as we go along. He arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down. See, he's a good camel driver, good camel tender. Outside the city by the well at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Now let's find out what is the reason for his going. He had been assigned by Abraham, his master, he said, we are living in the middle of heathen people, the Canaanite people, and God has promised his blessing on my son, Isaac, and I want him to find a wife, but I don't want him to leave home to do it. So you, eldest servant, you go find a wife for my son. How would you like that for an assignment? <laughs> so... He had to be the one that uh, pushed the romance along. So he, he's now going uh, out with his uh, camels and, and uh, very precious things. And here, here's where he becomes a, a prayer very soon. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And here he prays. He said, Oh, Lord the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Look at the level of loyalty that he has to his master. He's praying for him to be blessed, and actually he's looking for a wife for the, his master's son, Isaac. I wonder what he, how he was looking. How will, I, uh, how will I decide if someone is a good a good match for Isaac. And uh, the story goes on. So you can uh, advance the scripture there. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may, that, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And you can move it ahead. Beware, or before he had finished speaking, do you like when God answers quickly? <laughs> Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Micah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful. I bet, I bet the old servant didn't mind that. Wow, there's a beautiful, uh, beautiful girl. Very beautiful. 
a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him drink. Now, a jar would have been a clay pot that uh, a woman would carry on her shoulder, and so to get a drink, she'd have to lower it and maybe pour it into a cup or whatever. I saw that kind of women labor in Liberia in 1970, and uh, we were at an interior village deep in the Amazon, not the Amazon, deep in the tropical rainforest of Liberia, and uh, the river was down a fairly steep grade, and so water for the, the, the use of the, the meetings that were being held had to be carried up from there, and the women did it. And I actually saw a woman that had, I think it was like a galvanized tub, perhaps this wide and so deep. Uh, two men had the, the courtesy and the gallantry to fill the tub with water, and then the two of them lifted it up, and there was a woman there, a sturdy-looking woman, with a little wrap of cloth around here, and they put it on her head, and she climbs up the bank and up on the level, and then there were several little basins of water, and she very carefully tilted her head with this big galvanized tub of water and without losing a drop into the individual smaller containers. But a woman did it. Well, how much water does it take to feed a camel or to satisfy the thirst of a camel. I looked it up, and <laughs> I was surprised. By the way, camels are, are good, uh, uh, good animals to use in the desert. You know about their special feet, their adaptations for what they do well. And they can carry up to four or 500 pounds very easily. So if you have camels that haven't had a drink for 10 days, and they can easily go that long without water, because they store water not in the humps, but in their blood systems. And so if they've been that long without water, they can drink 40 gallons of water in less than 30 minutes. And you that are fast in math, do you know what water weighs per gallon? About 8.2 pounds. Is that right? Have a science? Yeah. So you're, you're getting up into thousands of pounds. And then if you multiply times all the camels, now we don't know that they had been 10 days, but they had been some days without water. And so this lady is really offering to do tremendous things. And uh, not only is she beautiful, she's also very, very strong. And I can imagine the heart of the old servant just pounding a little bit stronger all the time. I think this must be the, this must be the one. So let's go on. Before he had finished speaking, no, uh, verse 15, um, verse 19. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. And go ahead. When the camels had finished drinking, I think it's significant that they had finished, the man took a gold ring 
weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels in gold. This is not costume jewelry, my friends. This is the real stuff. <laughs> and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Micah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and food and room to lodge in. Go ahead. Then the man bowed low, and this is where we see worship taking place. The man bowed low and worshiped the Lord, and he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. Now, what an answer to prayer, and what an overwhelming thing. And he didn't need any background music to worship. Maybe the camels were belching. I don't know what, what all the sounds were, but he couldn't help but... Uh, there were three things that took place in his worship. And, and I, I kind of chose these. I like things that are easy to remember. So these all begin with the letter A. He had an awareness that God was really involved in this journey and what he was doing in obedience to his master. So an awareness of God. And then he acknowledges God verbally. Surely God has guided me, and he's blessing my master on this whole thing. And, and last of all, he becomes actively involved. He becomes a doer. So awareness, acknowledgement, and activity. And that should really be a pattern that we follow in our worship. Not that we follow it uh, out of some kind of drudgery or obedience, but just spontaneously as a result of of what our worship does in our lives, in our hearts. It makes us, we become aware that, is God involved in my life? Wow, he really is. And what does that do? That's going to affect the way I travel my journey in life. And so worship does have a purpose. And thankfully, we, we have corporate worship, we have private worship, and we can even have spontaneous worship. So that's uh, the big story. And I thought maybe I would close, and uh, I see we're getting, am I early or late? Still early. All right. Why don't we go to the uh, uh, Revelation, chapter 4. All right, John is uh, in heaven. He's been transported to heaven in his spirit, and he's seeing many, many unusual things and not least of which he's seeing incredible worship taking place in heaven. And uh, this follows the, um, the messages that were given to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the last of those seven was the church of Laodicea, which is described as being what? Kind of lukewarm, neither hot nor cold in spiritual matters. And... Uh, I ask myself every time I read that, I don't want to be in that category of the Laodicean church. And true worship can help us not to be that way if we can learn to worship the Lord 
in truth and in, in the guidance of his Holy Spirit. So some of this language is just almost more than we can comprehend. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven and one, notice the capital O, one sitting on the throne and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, so day and night they do not cease to say, and here is real worship in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to who, him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So there is real worship, honoring God and honoring the Lamb. That, and really, ultimately, the true worshiper is Christ. He's the real worship leader. And if our eyes aren't focused on him when we worship, then we, we need to be refocused. So a, a marvelous topic, this topic of, of worship. And I pray that uh, this will become more meaningful to all of us. Uh, have any of you uh, slipped into spontaneous worship any time in your life? You, you did it out of church? You weren't in church? Okay. The Lord will accept that. <laughs> All right. Um, I was trying to think in my own life. I asked myself that question. Have I been uh, guilty in a positive way of uh, spontaneous worship? I, I thought of a very, very uh, distant time in my life. And it was a, a time when I was very young and I was struggling with a guilty conscience because I had sinned. And I had been taught from very early in life by my parents primarily 
what sin was all about. It was breaking the commandments of God. One of the commandments is, you shall not lie. And I had lied. And I covered that sin for nearly two years. And then in a special revival time, prayer time, I felt that I could unload that burden to my father. And my sin had occurred this way. I, I gave in to the lust of appetite. Uh, we didn't have much cake to eat during World War II, but my mother had baked a birthday cake, and it must have been in the summertime because she had put it in what we called the parlor, which was cooler than most of the house, and it had beautiful icing, and some icing kind of comes out to, on a, out to little points all over. And I went into the parlor when nobody was looking. I was probably six, and I just kept looking at that cake, and oh, oh, I wish I could have that cake. And, but it was being there saved for mealtime for our family of six. So finally, <clears throat> I thought, one of those little points I could pick off around on the backside, nobody would ever notice it. So I ate one. And it was as good as I thought, maybe even better than I thought. <laughs> so I took another one, and, I, and I, I don't know if I ended up taking 10 or 15 and left the parlor and went on with the day. And uh, that evening, <clears throat> and at that time, uh, my dad was uh, remodeling the house, and so the three oldest boys uh, slept in the parlor. And... Uh, it was evening time now, and my mother came in, and quite often she would pray with each of us individually. And so she started with my brother John, four years older than me. And, and by the way, John, I, I noticed something happened to the cake. Somebody picked some icing off of it. Did you do it? No, I didn't do it. And I'm hearing this. What am I going to do? And then she went to David the next boy chronologically, David, did you pick icing on the cake? No, definite, you know, no hesitation. No, he didn't do it. And now the moment of reckoning, she came to me, Joseph, did you pick at the icing on the cake? No. <laughs> and I really think she knew I was lying. <laughs> but a very wise woman, my mother was. She lived in God's word, and she didn't press. She didn't make me confess. She just left it, and she said, well, maybe we have had mice in the house. Maybe a mouse got up there and did it. And she left me with the burden of that sin weighing in my life. So um, for two years, I lived with that, that guilt and that... Uh, conscience that would never be quiet. Well, in between, there might be exciting things that you could get away from the guilt. Guilt's that way, isn't it? It can haunt you and, and make life miserable. So we had this revival time, and I decided I, I've got to unload this. So my dad was there, and I went to him, and, and I said, Pop, I, I need to make a confession. And, and uh, he said, well, uh, what was it? So I told him about it, and he said, well, do you think your mother would forgive you? And I knew my mother, and I said, oh, I know she would. And he said, well, do you think God would forgive you? 
And it was almost as though the light of heaven beamed in on my soul. And I said, well, yeah, if mom would, God would forgive me too. Jesus would forgive me. And that was, became a moment of spontaneous worship in my life. And the, the burden of that, and I did confess to the Lord. And guess what? He did, he did forgive me. Is there a scripture that says he will if we confess? If we confess our sins, he is good. A lot of you know it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, you're a good class. I like that. You're right here. So <clears throat> part of worship is to be uh, prayed up like uh, Abraham's oldest servant was. He was prayed up so when the moment came that he saw God at work, he became aware of that, he acknowledged it, and then he sprang into action. And uh, it ended up he had a young lady to take back to uh, to the master's house and, more importantly, to the son's house. And, and if we read through the end of that, you might want to read it in chapter 24. Um, Isaac knew that the servant had gone to look for a, a wife for him. How, do you, how would you like romance to be done that way? I wonder if people, young people today had a chance to vote on it. Yeah, I, I want the, somebody that works for my dad to go find a wife for me. <laughs> probably wouldn't fly too well in today's culture. But <clears throat> and Isaac is described as out walking and meditating. And then he sees the camels coming. <laughs> and I can imagine how his heart was beating. And uh, Rebecca sees a young man off there in the field by himself. And so she asks the servant, who's that? And said, well, that's Isaac, my master's son. And so she followed the custom of her day and covered her face in a veil. And uh, then when they got closer, she got off of the camel and she met the man who would become her husband. And they went into a mother's tent. They were married and they became husband and wife. And the Bible says that uh, the wife comforted him, comforted him, Isaac, after his mother passed away. So worship is a big part of our lives, or it needs to be. And worship needs to affect the way we live. And worship ultimately must bring glory to God. It brings glory to him. And thankfully, that does happen in our corporate worship. And we need it to happen also in our private lives. The Lord bless you all.